And that leads me to key point number three. Key point number three is this. God's strategic plan is a prescriptive command for both the disciples and for the church today. Let's look one more time. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, there are some things in the Bible that are what we would call descriptive and other things that are are prescriptive, descriptive and prescriptive. The context will help us better understand uh, which one is which. Uh, let me give you let me give you a couple of examples uh, from scripture. For example, you have David and Goliath. Uh, Goliath is, and David's own words was, "You are an uncircumcised Philistine uh, that blasphemes against the holy God." Uh, and David did what? David took a sling, a stone, and he killed him, and he cut off his head. Now that's descriptive of not of that's descriptive of what happened. It is not prescriptive for us to go out and anytime someone blasphemes against God, we're not supposed to kill them with a stone and then cut off their head. Uh, that would be that would be prescriptive, uh, a prescriptive view, and that's not what we're after. There are many examples of prescription, and there's many examples of description. So this is an example of what's being described. Let me give you another example. In the scriptures, there are some good people that have multiple wives. But does that mean it's prescriptive for these men to have multiple wives? No, it's descriptive. It's just describing what they did, not that God condoned or even prescribed it for all of us. So how do we determine? Well, the scriptures themselves are going to give clarity. The context is going to make it clear whether or not it is descriptive or prescriptive. So when you think about uh, the context of the Great Commission, when we think about that, the key here is to understand that he is giving us uh, a prescription. He's, he's not just describing what the disciples will do or where they are going to go. Rather, he is prescribing a strategic plan for them as well as us. So he's not just saying, uh, one day you're going to go to Jerusalem, and then after that you're going to go to Samaria and to Judea and, and the ends of the earth. That's not. That's, he's not just describing where they're going to go. He is giving them a prescribed strategic plan. And I think that the same thing is true for us. So what did Jesus do then? Let's look at it all in context. Jesus told them to wait, to wait in Jerusalem until when? Well, until the Holy Spirit comes. Well, when Jesus told them this, when would that happen? Well, remember what I told you earlier? I underlined it in my passage. He said, not many days from now. So he's telling the disciples, go to Jerusalem, hang out there until the Holy Spirit comes. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to give you power and then you're going to go to, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The next question for us is this. How long did, did they remain in Jerusalem? How long were they there? If the Holy Spirit came within days of Jesus giving this instruction, then it would make sense that the church was obedient 
and left Jerusalem immediately and went to the rest of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Here's the problem. It was several years later before they ever left Jerusalem. Even though the Holy Spirit had come, even though they had been empowered, even though the power of the Holy Spirit was with them and they had ability, they had strength, they had the authority of Jesus himself, they delayed. When, when my son was growing up, uh, when he was much younger, we always taught him this principle. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Um, when, I, when I gave him an instruction to do something, it wasn't for him to do tomorrow unless I, unless I said, it's okay for you to do it later this week, just get it done. Typically, when I, when I gave an instruction to him uh, as dad, I would just say, listen, I need you to get this done immediately. And any delay is disobedience. So here's the question. What finally prompted the church to get going? Jesus said, delay in Jerusalem, but only until the Holy Spirit comes, which is not many days from now. And then we see the church lingering, not just days, but years have gone by. And what prompted them to eventually get going? Well, the answer is the persecution of the church. If you, if you go all the way to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, here's what it says. Now Saul, that's, that's who will later become uh, identified as the Apostle Paul. Now Saul was consenting to his death, referring to Stephen uh, in the early church. They had stoned him to death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Did you hear that? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Years have gone by, and where's the church? It's in Jerusalem. They have not yet left. They haven't gone to Judea. They haven't gone to Samaria. They haven't, they haven't gone beyond that area. Now, Jesus told them to wait there and to wait until the Holy Spirit came, but the Holy Spirit had come years earlier. So again, listen to, listen to Acts 8, 1. Saul was consenting to his death, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, did you hear what happened? They were scattered to the very places that Jesus had already told them, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea. You're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. So here's what we have. Acts chapter 8 verse 1 is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts 8 1 is the fulfillment of Acts 1 8. So here's how I want to I spend the rest of our time doing this. Why did, the, why did the Jewish people hate the Samaritans so much? I mean, they hung out in Jerusalem. They didn't go to the rest of Judea. They didn't want to go to Samaria. Why, why is that? Well, there's a little bit of a history lesson here. And I, I don't want to overlook this because this is so important to understanding the tension between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. If we go back to the Old Testament, we can remember that Israel was divided into two kingdoms uh, after King David. King David uh, ruled one kingdom. It was uh, all of Israel, the, 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 the northern and southern kingdoms, the northern and southern kingdoms had not yet been divided. 
But in 1721 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians, and many of those people were then taken captives into foreign lands. However, there were some of the Jewish people that were the poorest of the poor that were left in the northern kingdom. They were left behind. They, they wanted some of the affluent. They wanted the hard workers. They wanted those who were young and, and vibrant and could be taken as, as workers in foreign lands. But there were some that they just left behind. And those people stayed in the northern kingdom. Now, what, what is in the northern kingdom? What we call Samaria. Samaria is part of that northern kingdom. So as a result of the Assyrian captivity, what happens? Gentiles... Pagan Gentiles began to move into the area of the northern kingdom. And as a result, they would marry the Jews that remained in that region. And many of those Jewish people abandoned their faith. They began to follow the pagan practices of the Gentiles. The descendants of those Jews and those Gentiles became known as what we call the Samaritans. Now, let's, let's fast forward a little bit more. In 586 B.C., the southern kingdom, that's going to be Judah, they fell to the Babylonian Empire. But yet, by the 5th century B.C., the Nehemiah, you may be familiar in Scripture with Nehemiah and Ezra, Nehemiah was granted permission to return to his city of Jerusalem and rebuild. And when he gets back, here's what he found. The Jews that had remained in Israel had married Gentiles, and they were now called Samaritans. So by the time we get to Nehemiah, this is the first time in Scripture that the word Samaritan is used. And those very people, when Nehemiah gets back and is like, we're going to rebuild, we're going to rebuild, it was those very people, the Samaritans, that opposed the rebuilding efforts, and they were the source of so many problems for Nehemiah and his workers, and thus began the feud. They were seen as people who were spiritually corrupt because they had abandoned the faith. Uh, they had embraced the pagan foreigners, and they they began to, to worship false gods with the Gentiles. As a result, the Samaritans were hated even more so than the Gentiles because their ancestors got to stay in the land, but yet they didn't defend the land. They didn't defend the customs. They didn't defend their beliefs. They didn't remain true to the one true living God. You can kind of see their frustration, right? You can see where they were so frustrated. They're coming back. They finally have the freedom to come back from captivity only to find that there is this segment of Jewish people who have now embraced the Gentiles, married the Gentiles, and they have abandoned their faith and are no longer concerned uh, about defending their, their beliefs, their customs, their land, or any of that. So you can understand then when Jesus comes along and he says, hey, they need the gospel too, that there's tension there. But Lord, they... They abandoned, they abandoned the, the Jewish people. They, they didn't even defend the land. They didn't defend their faith. But Jesus comes along, and, he's, and by including the Samaritans as, as people who need to hear the gospel, Jesus says, Here, here's who I want you to share the gospel with, those who have hurt you, 
the Samaritans hurt the Jewish people that were coming back from captivity. And they were, they were finally getting back to their homeland, and they're finding the people in their own homeland uh, were not even supportive of rebuilding the city. They were hurt. Jesus says, I want you to share the gospel with those people that have hurt you. I want you to share the gospel with people who have offended you. I want you to share the gospel with people who have betrayed you. I want you to share the gospel with people who have abandoned you. I want you to share the gospel with people who have fought against you. I want you to share the gospel with people who have defiled you and your God. Are you hearing this list? I would even say, consider this, in our modern context, Jesus would say to us, I want you to share the gospel even with people who voted differently than you. Jesus said, that's your neighbor. That's your neighbor. Take the gospel to them. One last thought. The strategy of the Great Commission is to to expand the kingdom of God by expanding our outreach. 